Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to imagine with me a hypothetical situation. What if you woke up tomorrow, Monday morning, you woke up, and you found out that you'd lost all of your physical possessions? You know, the bank's maybe not open, you get up, you, you look on your phone or on your app or your statement comes in the mail and you open it and you find out that because of mismanagement of your money, someone else did it, maybe you did it yourself, shouldn't have invested in that little toy shack in the middle of the mall at Christmas that sells those little battery-operated toys or whatever it is, I don't know. You lost everything. It's gone. You don't have it anymore. It's not coming back. Especially if you thought it was your fault, how would you feel about that? They started putting signs up in the front yard for sale. They started putting that sign up for sale at the end. I think most of us would feel pretty guilty. We'd feel pretty upset by that. Perhaps we'd clamor for something, anything to blame for the circumstances that led to what happened because we'd feel so horrible. We wouldn't want people to look at us and think it was all our fault. No matter what we tried, though, as we laid our heads down at night, we would be aware that our lives are in our hands. We're responsible. We're responsible for who we are, for our choices, for our relationships, the interactions we have, and they all bear fruit in our lives and in the lives of our family and friends around us. Sometimes it's good fruit, depending on what we choose and who we align ourselves with, and sometimes it's not so good. Now imagine that you woke up the next morning, and you get another letter in the mail. You get a call, a message on your phone, whatever it is, that someone had paid your overwhelming debt and loss, had been wiped out clean, and all your affairs have been straightened out, so instead of having the end coming, everything had now been provided for. The fear and the uncertainty were no longer there. You'd gone from the very end of your life and feeling like all was lost to the beginning of an entirely new one, filled with hope and opportunity, a fresh start. What a gift, you'd probably think to yourself. And of course, when you walk down the street, maybe people were aware of it, they'd say, hey, there's that sign in your yard, and now it's gone. And What would you say? If someone came up and said, what happened? How would you answer? Someone that wanted to know, they they were aware of how bad things were, and suddenly they were all different. You were so much better. Everything was so well and so good. What changed in your life? In that moment, how you view your your past, your present, and even your future would converge in a powerful opportunity. And whether we realize it or not, spiritually for us, this is a fictional story, but for us, as those who know Jesus Christ, we experience this in our lives. Spiritual rebirth that can not only positively change our lives, but the lives of others around us. We have great opportunity to share the gift of grace we have in Jesus Christ all the time. In fact, that's what Paul's been telling the church up through Romans 11. He's been explaining to them in every way, all the way back in their own history, in their own faith, in their own lives, in their own circumstances, that our lives in Christ are purely products of grace. Grace is a gift, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
Now, that doesn't make us perfect or, or worthy of the gift that we receive. But what Paul's been trying to make us see in the book of Romans in every way, in every corner, in every passage, that we may not be perfect or even good or worthy, God's grace does make us His. We belong to Him. We're made right because of Christ and welcome into God's presence, still sinners and yet completely righteous. That's a life in Christ where we know that's why we say grace is a gift. We can live into that gift every day as we fully understand the gospel. We, we're lost and hopeless, and yet God brought us in. And when we understand the gospel, when we live into it, something powerful happens. Paul's been describing that for us, what we do with that gift since chapter 12 in Romans, how we see that grace changes our lives and our relationships, our relationships with other Christians, our relationships with the institutions and the authorities around us. The gospel intends to change our lives and to change our relationships. And we'll see even more of this in the next week to come. Two weeks from now, I'm going to pick this back up. Not just with our friends, not just with our neighbors, but even with our enemies. Today in chapter 14, we see the gospel. It applies to our lives in so many ways. God's grace, God's truth, what we learn in God's word it applies to us in a very specific circumstance, the church in Rome, the believers that Paul is writing this to. There's an issue within their own assembly. And with the Spirit's power, Paul wants them to address this with one another. And we need to understand a little bit about what's happening here so that it makes sense. So when we read it, it makes sense to us. Now, what's happening here is not a moral issue. It's a practical, it's a personal, it's a relational issue. The believers in this church had disagreements. They had a misunderstanding of how things need to be. They had not the do's and don'ts of faith, not what was right and wrong morally in God's word. They had some wills and some won'ts. How we are going to live out our faith, the process, the vehicle by which we're going to present our faith, what God's saying to us. And they were putting some things in the place of what God said was right and wrong with what they decided was right and wrong. They were actually moving the needle beyond God's word and making it a little tougher than it needed to be in some cases. And here Paul says to them, this is not what God is calling us to do. This is not who God is calling us to be. And today we're going to learn about how Paul wants to remind them about how grace is a gift and how we interact, how as a church we decide to live out our faith has real implications for the world around us. And today, as we remember our freedom and our opportunity to live for Christ, this is an important question for the church today. What does it really look like to be an effective Christian in today's world? How we give that grace to the world around us, what do we look like? What does God tell us? What are the standards? What are they? Let's look at Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12 together. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may, he may eat anything, while a weak person eats only vegetables. I guess that's me. Okay. <laughs> let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself, where if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now this is not the Tupac sermon, only God can judge me. That's not what we're doing here today with this. So don't, I know you guys are all big Tupac fans out there at So Presbyterian Church, so. Okay, so I'm the only Tupac fan. All right, well that was all right. I I tried there. Okay, we got you. I see an amen. I see that hand. Okay. Anyhow, the obvious question is here, who are the strong and who are the weak? What is this talking about? I mean, it sounds pretty judgmental without the background. Somebody's called strong and somebody's called weak. I was thinking about this. I'm like, how can I explain this to you guys? And okay, in gym class when you were kids, those of us under 35 at least remember this. You'd line up and you'd count off in ones and twos. And when you got wise to this and began to game the system, other integers were added, like count offs in sevens. And you're like, there's only 32 of us. This makes no sense, okay? And you'd do this and it'd be like, one, threes, and fours over here. You know, because you, you'd try to figure out where you'd want to line up, right? So you could be on a team with your friends. Or if you were highly competitive, so that wheezing kid in the corner would not end up on your team. Now, if you were the wheezing kid in the corner, you wanted to be on the team with the other kids, so you'd win, and they wouldn't blame you necessarily. So it was this whole competition because of how people were viewed as strong and weak. And this was for really godly activities like dodgeball. You can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball, right? I mean, if you think about, I mean, you know, these, we don't do this anymore. Games that were designed to humiliate us and expose that we had no athleticism, right? Dodgeball's brutal. I love it. It's a game of absolute punishment. That's why I'm a pastor. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But we would do that, right? And kids have no filter. So you would know right away who was viewed as weak or compromised or defective. Because little kids, if you've ever seen this, whether it's a recess on the playground, or they'll say, I don't want to be on so-and-so's team. Right now, even as I say that, some of you may have a flashback, and that may really hurt. I mean, I'm I'm not even joking. That can have a lasting impact on us, right? I mean, really, it can. There was an instant assessment of other people there, who we thought was strong, what we think is effective, who we thought was on the top of their game. And the funny thing is, that process of seeking approval and being seen as strong, we, we want that. And when we don't feel strong, when someone points it out to us, whether it's at recess or whether it's a review at work or whether it's your report card, when you're a student or whatever it is, whether it's your bank account next to your neighbors, whatever that is, none of us want to be viewed as weak, as unattractive. The funny thing is that process, that seeking of approval, 
It never ends for us as we grow. It's part of our sinful insecurity. What changes, however, are the metrics, the way by which we judge what we value as strong, as successful, as worthwhile. Think about it. When you were a kid, having a messy room didn't mean anything to you. But as an adult, having a place that's clean when people see it is the pinnacle of success. You ever think about that? It totally changes. It really does. When we were kids, we wanted to have the most fun and the most free time. And as adults, we may say we really want that, but what we want is to be seen as the most effective. We say we're working hard just so we can enjoy ourselves, but a lot of times we do that because that's where we find our value. That's where we find our identity, our success. And we may do it in different ways. It may be the accolades of others. It may be the numbers in our bank account. It could be all kinds of things. We want to feel successful. We want to feel powerful and worthwhile. Christians, when we come to church, we want to feel valued and accepted here just the same way. We want to feel encouraged. Sometimes we want to feel safe here because we feel so unsafe and so devalued in the world around us. And that can lead us to get a lot of things out of order at church. We can try to make a church a sanctuary for us rather than a sending place for the gospel and for God. Sometimes we do that, I think, as a reaction to what we experience in the world around us. And in this strong, in this weak, in this passage, what was happening? What was happening is simply this. Some of the Jewish Christians in that Roman church, remember you had the Gentile Christians, those who didn't know Christ, and the Jewish Christians, those who had grown up with those Old Testament laws, who saw themselves as God's, government, or, or God's covenant people, God's people that knew his law and knew his commands, and they felt that they had a leg up on the other folks. And so they started to come up with some new ways to be extra spiritual, to feel extra secure, to feel extra in God's good graces. God had abstained and taken away some of those eating laws from the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, they set themselves apart by not eating certain things and by having these festivals and these reminders, and they weren't bad things. But God had taken some of those things away in the book of Acts. He had told Peter at Cornelius' house, you can eat whatever you want. And he had told them, you know, all these festivals and things, they're not as important, but Jesus said, you do what we're going to do today at this table in remembrance of me. You're a new people, a covenant people. You are God's holy people in Christ. So all these Old Testament things point to Jesus, and we don't do all of them anymore. But some of the Roman Christians said, you know what? I'm going to make sure I'm extra good. I'm going to have all these festivals. I'm going to have these special days, and I'm going to remember them. And you know what? I'm going to still follow those eating laws because God's going to love me more if I still do these things like they did in the Old Testament. In fact, that makes me not just a regular Christian. I'm a special Christian. I'm like, since it's Veterans Day, I'm like the Navy SEALs of Christians when I do this because I'm an Old Testament and a New Testament Christian all rolled into one. You know, the funny thing is there are Christians that are doing this in our world today. Go to Amazon and click on Christian books and read some of the book titles. Some of them are really good. Some of them are a little bit outside of God's word. And here Paul is saying, that's not what it's about. So Paul defines the strong here in Christ. The strong here in Christ are those who understand that there is freedom 
We have this gift in Christ, this freedom, we're celebrating that today, that we have to live only according to what God says in the gospel. That's what it means to be strong in Jesus. You don't need to do all these extra things. You need to do what God has commanded. You need to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center of who you are. And if you're weaker in your faith, you think you're doing these other things because God is going to like you more and accept you more, and you're going to get all that affirmation that you're looking for. And Paul says no. He says no. That's not what it's about. One group thought they had a leg up. The other group thought, well, you know what? Since I don't do this, kind of actually I have a leg up because I get it more than you do. Both of them were looking at each other like they were the teams at recess that had picked the better players. In the words of the great theologian Dwayne The Rock Johnson, they both thought they were the people's champ. <laughs> and here Paul says, don't you get it? Christ has come to set all people free from all these things. Those laws don't apply. And God does not love you more because you don't eat meat on certain days. And God doesn't love you more because you follow all the ceremonial festivals in the book of Deuteronomy. God was not telling them they had to do it or that he expected them to do any of it. A couple of my friends were at a preaching conference, men's ministry people, you know, Steve Lawson, that's taught some of the things we've done in men's ministry. And someone stood up and they said to him, they said, Reverend Lawson, I have a question for you. Some of these people went out after this preaching conference there at night and I saw them having a beer at the local bar. Presbyterians are saying amen right now and that's okay. I just can't abide by that, this gentleman said. Some of my friends who were there, I guess, began squirming in their seat a little bit. And here's what Steve Lawson said back to him. Well, I've prayed and I've thought about this over the years, and God's word makes it clear that we're allowed to drink if it's not a problem for us in moderation. Key to that, friends. But here, I'm going to let you know what God's word says. If you think because your skirt's a certain length, your hair's done a certain way, or because you don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls to do, that God loves you more, then my dog Spot is the greatest Christian who has ever lived in the face of the earth. Friends, what we need to learn here, this gift of grace, it, it grants us great freedom. Standing on ceremony to feel more spiritual, standing on anything beyond God's word, beyond the gospel, is actually weakening our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we lose sight of the gospel, when we base our faith on anything but Christ, there's no strength in that in any way. Because it ceases to become about God who has all strength and becomes about us who have none. Living in Christ is finding hope and wholeness and redemption not in what you do or how you look or how you feel about other people's assessments of you and your faith, but it comes from seeking Jesus before all other things as Savior, Redeemer, and Lord of your life. Paul makes it clear that we, know, we are to know what God expects. That means we're to know God's Word. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a thank you Sunday when we thank some folks from our church. And we're going to have, that's on a Sunday, we're going to dedicate the Bibles that are going to go in the seatbacks in this room. Here's the funny thing. Those aren't supposed to be decorations. Many churches, have you ever taken a Bible out of there and opened them? And they're like, eh, like they've never been opened before. You're like Nicolas Cage opening some secret passage in National Treasure that's never been opened, you know? 
like, I mean, the Bible is like stiff as a board because no one's ever opened it. Maybe the Bible in your house is like that. To know what God requires and what He doesn't, we have to know God's Word in fullness and understand it. Most Christians, we don't take time to even open God's Word. But these Bibles we're going to put in here, they're for us to use and to know God's Word, for us to take if we need God's Word, and for us to give to other people to share God's Word with them. Living in Christ is finding strength not in what you do, but in who He is. And that's the point of this. And here Paul's saying, you're not here to pass judgment. You're not here to be the master. We have a master, and there's, we have a Lord, and He's Jesus Christ. He's the one that matters. But that's really hard for us to do because we're wired to seek that acceptance, to seek that value, to be judged. And when somebody says, ah, oh, you're not good, or, oh, this makes you better, we're quick to jump on that or jump off this because we think those little things, those external things, we crave the approval that they bring. We crave the approval of others. Now, we may not seek it all in the same ways or in the same areas because of the uniqueness of who we are. See, our experience here plays into it. This is why churches are interesting. If you grew up in a church that was very strict and rigid, maybe you know somebody like that and they're not here today because they were so hurt by some of that, they don't want anything to do with it. You all know people like that, right? I do too. Or maybe you grew up in a church that was so wild and crazy, you wanted something a little more laid back. Now, whether your church had laser lights or smells and bells or whatever it had growing up, the question is, did that church, did that experience draw you into Jesus Christ in what mattered? The strength of being a Christian is knowing the difference in Scripture between what we've experienced and what God declares to be true, right, and good. And a lot of times, the reason people don't understand their faith is because someone else was majoring in the minors and not standing firmly on the Word of God and the Gospel of God's grace. Our job as Christians is to know God's grace, to know God's truth, and to be able to share it. And that requires some effort on our part. It requires some surrender on our part so that we put aside our insecurities and our fears and we really dig into God's Word to see who He is and what He calls us to be as His followers. What is most important? If grace is the gift, if God is calling us into it, if the gospel is what matters, what is the gospel? What does it mean? What does the gospel mean? What does God require in his word versus what somebody told me I was supposed to do growing up? What does that look like? Friends, it's clear as we've looked at the book of Romans, God's heart is for us to go outside of these walls and to reach the lost and to share the truth of God's word, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners like you and me. Those things that matter to us in the church today, we have to make sure they're what matters to God. They have to be in line with God's word. A lot of churches are struggling in today's world, not because God is unclear, but because we've decided to build our churches on something other than the gospel. We've decided that living in Christ is all about us and what we prefer. And what Paul here is saying is absolutely not. God's truth is clear. And whatever we've experienced, whatever we know, sorry guys, can you go back one slide for me there? I clicked it twice. 
what we are here to know is different than sometimes what we knew growing up. What God is commanding of us is something beyond our own experiences. So do we know God's word? Do we know what it means to belong to him? We have to judge in today's world what is essential, not, as what, not what is preferable for us. You see, the weak here in this passage condemn the strong for being too cavalier with God's word and with God's laws. And the strong, they poo-pooed the weak. They went after them for clinging to their old ways when the new had come. This is very much what happens in the church today. And while Paul says the strong were right on the basic issues, that it is about God's grace and these things don't matter, his main concern is to get each group to stop criticizing the other, to accept each other in a spirit of love and in unity, and that both of them would see that God's gospel, that Jesus Christ is the center of the church. Here at our church and in churches across the country today, there are people that are struggling as our culture shifts to figure out how the church is to be effective. I'm here to tell you that's not a problem. It's not that we shouldn't pray about it. It's not that we shouldn't talk about it. But God's word makes it clear that we are to put Christ at the center of all we do. And what's that look like then? Oh, pastor, what's that mean? How do we do that? How do we do that? You keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep Jesus Christ at the center of all of this. And that means we have to stop and consider Everything that we do, our elders are praying and talking about this. Everything we do, is that us finding strength in Jesus Christ? Is that us seeking to share Jesus with other people? Are we doing this because it makes us feel comfortable? Because the funny thing is, when we do what God calls us to do, we find we're usually a little less comfortable than we want to be. In fact, we're usually so far out on the edge, the only way we can make it is by holding on to Jesus with both hands. That's what God's calling us here today to understand. That when we hold on to Jesus, we don't have time to worry about other things and other people. You see, God here wants us to see and to love other people the way he does. He loves to see us offering that gospel grace to other people. God does not want us to worry about what people wear to church. I'm going to be honest with you. I dress up for church because you guys like me to. I only got like three outfits at this point anyhow, so, you know, they're dress outfits. It's fine to dress up for church, but the Bible never says if you don't dress up for church, God's going to be mad at you. In fact, when Jesus met with people, they came off dirty, dusty roads, and they were pretty messy. It's fine to dress up for church, but don't think that God loves you more because you do it. It's fine to have a certain kind of worship. God doesn't love us more because we have a more traditional worship or we have a more contemporary worship. God He's happy with us because we worship him and him alone. That the focus of our worship is on him. In all these things, we have to stop and ask the question, if grace is the gift, what are we wrapping it up in to give it to other people? That's the question for us today. Will we lay aside the things that we think are important? And as we talked about last week, will we find that eternal perspective that God is calling us to? that one that he is commanding of us. He says, don't worry about the things that I don't worry about. Don't pass judgment on somebody else because they're not doing this or not doing that. He says, have that eternal perspective. And what does that perspective look like today? 
As we come to God's table this morning, what's it say? I often pray this when we talk about bringing our gifts, our tithes and our offerings. Sometimes we think of this in terms of material gifts, but God's saying this is about all of us in our lives. The gifts, the opportunities, the experiences we have. God's saying you're all on the same team. It doesn't matter who you are. You're all called in. And I've given you all these experiences, all these opportunities, because there will come a day when every knee will bow. There will come a day when every tongue, every tribe, every nation will confess to God. Then each of us will give an account of themselves to God. That's not going to be accounting of what other people thought of you. It's not going to be accounting of how many zeros are in your bank account, how spiritual somebody thought you were. He's not going to look at your attendance records for this or that. He's not going to wonder if you came to church that one hour of the week what you did with all those other hours during the week when you weren't here. If you have that gift of God's grace, if it's been given to you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you and I are called today as we come to this table to understand that we have the opportunity to use all the freedom, to use all that God has given us so that others would know what it means to belong to Him. And you're invited to this table to receive God's grace this morning. If you don't know what it means to belong to Jesus Christ, it's simply this, that we celebrate that God's one and only Son came to this earth. He walked that long, dusty road to Calvary, and He gave His life on the cross so that God would raise Him from the dead, so that the sins that we all know and we all experience could be forgiven. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior this morning, it's this simple. As we pray silently here before we have, after our prayer of confession rather this morning, you can say, Jesus Christ, I want you in my life. I can't do this myself. I don't have it all together. Forgive my sins and come into my life. Be my Savior and be my Lord. It's, it's that simple. As we come to God's table this morning, this is not the table of Stowe Presbyterian Church or of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is open to all those who profess Him as Savior and Lord alone and lean not on their own lives or their own righteousness, but rely fully on Him and His grace in the gift that he came to give us by his shed blood that we celebrate, that we would know eternal life to come and a redeemed life, life with that purpose to share that grace now and today. But we don't want to come to this table in a manner that's unworthy. So I invite you to pray this prayer of confession with me. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all, we acknowledge and confess our sins, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past and grant us that we may hereafter serve and please you in newness of life to the honor and glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 